Hello to everyone joining us online and here in the room for today's hybrid Euroactive debate on the future of the EU's energy sector. My name is Dave Keating and I'm coming at you live from the Euroactive offices in the heart of the EU quarter. And we're going to be talking about a very timely debate and a one that is very much high up on the political agenda these days. Now, right now, we're living through unpredictable times for energy. There are known knowns and there are known unknowns. We know that the EU has targets for reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 55% by 2030 and reaching net zero by 2050 as part of the European Green Deal. Now, to meet those targets, we have myriad pieces of legislation working to reduce the use of fossil fuels and increase the use of renewables and low-carbon fuels. These targets will require a transformation in the EU's energy system, not only for companies but also for individual consumers. This has given rise to some worries. Worries about an industrial loss of competitiveness globally if other areas of the world don't follow suit. And there's also worries about certain segments of society being disadvantaged by these changes, sparking backlashes like we saw with the Yellow Vest protests in France. Now, the Ukraine war has added a new level of concern, with worries about energy security and a coming energy supply crisis looming over energy talks that are happening right now as we speak over in Luxembourg with EU energy ministers, as they're talking about solutions for the skyrocketing energy prices that consumers are seeing. So, as the EU energy ministers talk about the supply crisis and the price crisis over there in Luxembourg, Right here in Brussels, we're going to be talking about the climate implications of all of this. Do we need to revisit the EU's energy framework in light of the war and in light of rising energy bills? Or does the current crisis mean we should adopt even more ambitious targets? And given that this is a global crisis, is there a risk that the EU's international partners are going to water down their emissions reduction ambitions at the COP27 climate summit in Egypt starting in less than two weeks? The energy ministers meeting right now have actually just adopted the EU mandate for those talks, and they're calling for ambition to be maintained. But will it? We're going to start today with an introduction remark from Wojciech Dombrowski, who's president of the Polish Electricity Association, PKEE. Thank you very much. Good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are now at a turning point for the European energy sector, Poland, and other countries from our region were the first to warn of the threat posed by dependence on energy resources from Russia. We have to deal with the new extraordinary circumstances, uh, but the main directions remain unchanged. Europe is uh, continuing its journey to climate neutrality. The scale, for, the scale of uh, transforming uh, Polish energy sector is much wider and more expensive than the average scope of EU countries. This is the result of very specific uh, historical conditions and predetermined uh, high share of coal in the energy mix. Uh, this is why we often ask and call uh, on stake holders uh, in the EU 
for taking into uh, account different starting points and respect on pace of transition of uh, member states. However, uh, I don't want to make excuses here. Instead, I would like to emphasize that the evolution of the Polish electricity sector has been consistently uh, carried uh, out since 1989, when Poland uh, regained economic sovereignty. Care uh, for the natural environment, a stable climate, clean air and healthy water for future generations have been guiding the Polish energy sector for years. It is worth notice that Poland achieved its previous climate goals with a, with a surplus, mostly by a significant contribution of energy sector. The development of renewable energy sources is one of the key aspects of Poland's energy transformation, supporting both the implementation of climate goals and the improvement of energy security. Poland's strategic plans are reflected in the strategies of the largest Polish energy groups, including PGE, whose strategy aims to achieve climate neutrality by 2050 which uh, some uh, significant increase in the share of renewable energy sources, such as wind farms or photovoltaics. In order to enable uh, further development uh, of renewables, it will be necessary to invest in electricity net networks and in uh, energy storage solutions. We have many innovative innovative uh, projects uh, on these fields as well. Additionally, development of uh, new areas such as offshore wind or nuclear technologies will initiate it building up of the value chain for these sectors, which will support creation of new jobs and development of competences of Polish workers. This will support implementation of the just transition concept. The estimated costs of the energy transformation in Poland with regards to electricity heating and the necessary protective measures by 2030 may be up to 135 billion euros. Due to the scale of the challenges, investments related to the energy transformation can't be implemented only with the use of funds from energy groups and potential investors, but also requires support from national and EU funds. I'm glad that we can discuss during today's event about the future of uh, the EU energy sector, I have no doubt that Europe is able to build a strong, independent, environmentally friendly and solidary energy sector and Poland will play an important role in the process.
I encourage you to read the newest, newest report, Polish Energy Transition Path, prepared by the Polish Electricity Association in cooperation with the global company EY. I'm convinced that it allows you to better understand Polish circumstances as well as learn more about our ambition, plans for transition. I wish uh, panelists a fruitful discussion, which will, uh, which will be interesting for all participants of this event. We should all work on solutions that will be enable us to emerge from the crisis and achieve our transformation goals. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Mr. Dombrovsky. So next, we're going to hear a report about the energy transition path in Poland. Before we get the presentation of that report, I'm curious to get you guys in the audience to know where you're starting from in terms of, of knowledge of what's come in the past. We're about to talk about the path for the future, but what's happened over the past 20 years. So we're first going to have a poll using Slido. Now Slido is also the tool you guys are going to use to ask your questions, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room. On your chairs here in the room, there's a QR code that you can scan that will pull up uh, Slido, and you can use it right now for this first poll. So if we can pull up that first poll question now, the question is, how much was the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions in electricity and heat generation in Poland from 1988 to 2020? Uh, so the options are 10, 20, 30, or more than 40. Um, while you guys are answering that, we're going to get the, question, the presentation, and we'll pull up your answers after that presentation. Uh, so let's go now to cross over virtually to Jakub Kosicarek, who's the manager of business consulting and business transformation at EY Polska, who will present the report on the Polish energy transition path. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I have the pleasure to uh, create and work on the report. Uh, which is uh, subject to discussion uh, today, together with my team here in Poland, in close uh, collaboration with Polish Electricity Association. Um, can we have the slides on, please? Thank you. Um, so, as I said, we have this. We had the pleasure to to work on the report. Uh, in the first slide which we prepared there is a table um there is a table of contents of the booklet that we prepared however uh what is worth mentioning is that the full report uh provides a comprehensive view on uh on uh, what is the current state of the polish energy uh, sector um uh in almost 135 pages um, we try to be as concise as possible. However, the, the scale of issues and, uh, and different topics to be, to be reached um, somehow force us to, to produce such a, such a document, but we would very much recommend you to, to, to have a look uh, into the full report as not only it gives you an insight on what is the, of, of the, regulatory framework on the global level, on the EU level, and on the Polish uh, national level, but it gives you a summary of what already has been uh, achieved, 
on what is the perspective for the next 10 years until 2030 what is the perspective on the uh the perspective uh, what is the perspective for the 2050 it also gives you an analysis of the opportunities and threats in each of the segments that we will be facing it analyzes uh the mm, uh, just transition issues that we have that we will be facing uh in poland uh, in the rebuilding of the energy sector that has to take place uh for us to reach the neutrality we analyze how much of this will all cost what are the financing possibilities of it um, and summarize also the current uh transitional issues connected with the destabilized markets uh, as a part of uh, economy rebound due to the pandemic era, but then the war effect and so on. However, if 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 the full report is uh, too much uh, for, for one to read, there is also this booklet, which is only 25 pages long, uh, with lots of uh, interesting data and graphs uh, and a little bit of text for everyone to be able to read within an hour. Um, uh, we, I, I will now like to also present you a little bit of what is our, our view based on the report also of what Poland has achieved and what is the way forward. Uh, in the report, we don't really, uh, we don't want to, we don't want to focus on the past. Like Mr. Dombrowski said, we don't want to look for the excuses. Uh, I think the circumstances of Poland uh the difficult starting point that it had uh the fact that it only regained the economic and political sovereignty in since 1989 was indeed a difficult starting point uh at that time only almost 90 percent of power generation was uh was produced from coal and report does not really focus on that the report is much more looking forward it focuses on showing what already has been achieved it focuses on on the on the successes on the uh, on the way forward on the strategies and what already has been implemented however in here we would like to just to summarize and remind that poland has very much uh, not only fulfilled its climate commitments arising from kyoto protocol and eu climate an energy policy until 20 but it actually exceeded those goals as far as kyoto protocol targets are concerned this target was exceeded by almost four times uh, regarding the eu climate and energy policy goals poland did reach the 20 percent common uh, pan-european reduction target as compared to 1990 uh, as far as the increase in the share of renewables in the final energy consumption, we achieved the target with uh, with a result of 107 percent. And in uh, in terms of energy efficiency target, we did uh, achieve the reduction in the primary en energy in uh, in 99 percent of the target. And for the final energy savings, we achieved the target with a 10 percent margin. So. Um, it's very, uh, very important for, from our perspective to, to, to remember that a lot has been done already, but uh, looking at uh, what is the way forward, uh, that the challenges are even greater. And uh, we, we, feel that, uh, we feel that everyone here is 
is making all the necessary commitments to, to do so. Uh, and this is, uh, on the next slide, we will see what is actually the main focus of the report. And the main focus of the report is this way forward. How do we see the challenges uh, for the sector in the 2030 perspective? What is needed for the 2050 perspective? And there are different, different factors at play uh, that we see. Obviously, this is only a very short summary of what is in the report. However, uh, what first element here, which is uh, very important to mention, is the growing EU climate ambition. No one is no one is discussing the necessity of it. Everyone understands that it's the only way forward for for our climate, for our planet, uh, to to sustain uh, the humanity. And uh, in this regard, uh, the CO2 reduction target has already been uh, increased to 55%, but uh, th this ambition and these goals will be increased further. Uh, there is the Fit for 55 package in preparation and uh, consultations, uh, which uh, most likely will uh, increase the targets for the RES and efficiency even further. There is the Rio Power initiative as well, which will further increase these, um, uh, these these targets and goals. And this will pose a significant needs for the transformation. And this transformation uh, will have to take place with the great efforts and, uh, and uh, ex capital expenditures needed. Uh, in Polish context, however, uh, there is a because of this growing ambition and changing regulatory perspective on the climate change, there will be a significant need to change the generation structure of Polish energy sector. There is already a coal exit path approved by 2049 for the hard coal and for lignite by 2044. This will pose also significant challenges in the just transition for the regions uh affected uh this this is, should be understood not only by the all the people employed in the power plants which at the moment uh generate power from coal as this consists of probably almost 70 percent of the power generation in poland but it also involves the regions where the coal is mined it also involves the the industry which support the mining which support the delivery of the coal this is this is a significant. Uh, this is a significant point to be taken into account. In the whole EU, at the moment, there is there is almost two hundred thousand people employed in the sector of of coal mining, and half of it is in Poland. So I think that this uh, tells a lot about the scale of uh, challenges. Also, like Mr. Dombrowski already mentioned, uh, the transformation uh, will pose also a significant needs for the investment expenditures. Uh, together with PKEE, we estimated it to be over 135 billion euros for 2030. This does not, um, this not only includes the buildup of the new power generation capacities, uh, mainly in renewables, but also uh, nuclear, 
uh, and other low emission technologies, but it also includes the needs for the district heating, uh, the needs for the transition, uh, transmission and distribution uh, expenditures, uh, which uh, which uh, at the moment could pose the most immediate, which show the most immediate uh, needs for the for the investment. Also, this, and then there is the the next the next point that this whole uh, transformation will, is now taking place in a very difficult conditions uh, of destabilized commodities and destabilized markets. Uh, we've seen uh, unprecedented price volatility and price levels, uh, mainly due to uh, due to the fact that the the war in Ukraine started, but in fact. Uh, some of the elements of the market uh, and and instability of 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 its construction we could have been observing for the last couple of years. This includes the ETS market. This includes a rapid increase of uh, electricity prices at the end of 2021, when there was the rebound from the uh, there there was a rebound due to the uh, of the economic activity after the post pandemic era. And then the war extra exaggerated those those problems even further. And uh, at the end of August, we found ourselves uh, in a position where the forward contracts for 2023 were valued at 400 euro per megawatt hour on the Polish uh, power exchange. Uh, so this also gives an extra difficult context for the transformation and the and the plans of achieving uh, the targets. As in, in our way forward. And the last element, which I already briefly mentioned, is the just transition of the regions whose economies are based on the use of coal. Uh, unfortunately, 90% uh, of employees uh, of employment connected with coal, uh, hard coal mining is in one region, which uh, pose a significant difficulties in the transition because if the transition is not done in the just way, the whole region uh, will may may just uh, may just uh, collapse if 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 not enough care and attention is being uh, uh, taken uh, in, in 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 its transition. Um, so uh, to summarize. Which is on the which is on the next slide. Uh, we would like to point out that uh, despite the historical challenges uh, that Poland had in its geopolitical system and its uh, the way it built its uh, power generation system uh, in the, from the 50s to 1989, Poland did commit itself to climate goals for 2030 and achieving climate neutrality in 2050, and is actively working to protect the climate. Um, we have some significant, uh, uh, we have some uh, significant successes already. For example, in terms of PVs in Poland in mid 22, there was already at 10 gigawatts of installed capacity in the system. And according to the uh, Polish energy policy by 2040, which is the official strategic document by the Polish government, uh, this level should only be achieved in the mid-2030s. So 
a 10 gigawatts of buildup, which has pretty much been achieved in the last two years, is a, is a beautiful achievement and we, we're waiting for, for more. Uh, also, if you if one analyzes the um, the strategic documents of the of all of the Poland's uh, energy companies, uh, we see a very ambitious strategies adopted uh, to the new challenges. Almost half of the capex uh, planned in the next ten years dedicated to this distribution distribution systems, which at the moment is the most imin, uh, imin, uh, immediate uh, need. Uh, and the biggest obstacle to, to, to the transformation. We also see some actions from the Polish government in creating the, the NABE agency, which is an agency which is planned to be, uh, to be set up by the end of the year. And uh, it will aggregate all of the hard, hardcore-based units from the uh, energy companies uh, in order to uh, free them from the burden of having the coal assets in their portfolios so that uh, they can finance more renewables sources uh, on the financial markets, uh, which we see is a, is a, could be an obstacle if, if this step is not being done. Another, another, uh, another significant example of, of, of real actions that, is being, uh, that are being taken in Poland is the planned merger of uh, Orlen with Energa and Lotus. Energa and Lotus is already achieved. Uh, there could be a, a merger with the PNGNG, which is the biggest, uh, Poland's biggest uh, uh, natural gas uh, extraction and uh, trading company. This has a, a clear um, goal in mind uh, of creating a big multi multi energy entity which will be able to push forward the transformation of energy sector in Poland by having enough scale uh, and big enough assets to push the investments at even faster pace. And uh, the last example is a uh, real life example is that uh, Poland is now actively pursuing its strategy uh, of implementing a nuclear uh, power plants, uh, which are to be uh, built up by the mid 2030s, uh, of capacity up to six to nine gigawatts, and is now a little bit also ahead of the plan uh, with uh, its ambitious offshore wind uh, wind farms, uh, which are be, which are planned for almost 11 gigawatts in the Baltic Sea. This Two elements are also a key driver for the for the new energy system to have a either a low emission or no emission uh, power generating uh, units to replace the the coal fired power plants which are being uh, operated at the moment. Um, I think this is this is this will be it for the peak of of the report. But uh, we very much would like to encourage you to look into the report uh in in details as the, as, as there are many uh, interesting and uh, hopefully uh hopefully eye-opening analysis in the in the report thank you very much thanks very much jacob so now let's get the result of that poll question we had before uh so we have 
most of you said 30%, uh, but in fact, the answer is 40%, according to the EY uh, report, above 40%, in fact. Um, so let's now move on to the panel discussion. I'd like to introduce our panelists. We have two here in the room and two joining us remotely. So we have here next to me, uh, Tsvetelina Penkova, Bulgarian center-left MEP and member of the Energy and Industry Committee. And we have Irina Kustova, a research fellow on energy resources and climate change at the think tank, the Center for European Policy Studies. Then joining us online, we have Alberic Moncrenier, Director for Energy Mobility and Sustainability at the Think Tank, the Center on Regulation uh, for Europe. And we have Pavel Kloch, who is Vice President of the Polish Electricity Association, PKEE. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, Svetlina, let's start with you. Um, as we hear some of those figures, uh, just in, in particular in the Polish case, um, what is your impression of the EU's energy future, and how do you think that the recent geopolitical events are going to affect that energy future for the EU? I will try to answer that question in two minutes, which is going to be quite challenging. Uh, thank you, Dave, and thank you for having me, having me here. It was very interesting to, to hear the data and some specific cases, even though it might sound they were very specific for one member state, I have to say that probably the trends and uh, the processes which is being presented today apply to many member states. I will start with a bit more wider picture, what we're doing at the EU level and where we're targeting our focuses in terms of all the discussions, debate and the upcoming legislations in the very near future. And of course, um, the short-term crisis measures and the funding. So um, I would say that we are looking at three main priorities at the moment. First, uh, security of supply. Second, affordability of the prices for consumers. And third, uh, energy independence, which is going to be achieved through a faster uh, deployment of the renewable energy sources. You can rank them in terms of time horizons and priority, but we need energy, we need this to be affordable, and we need to become more independent in the medium and the long run. So the, the question for a million dollars here is like how to achieve that, and what are we doing to, to get there? Um, we've heard the uh, Quite a few, actually, of the main aspects that were more or less touched upon by the um, by the previous speakers, and especially by uh, Jakob in the last um, last few remarks. So I'll start with that. Actually, when we're speaking about the security of supply, um, there are three main aspects. First of all, uh, we need to find the right balance between renewable energy and base load power because we need both. If we need to have a stable energy mix, we need both. Renewables is definitely a key priority, and we are working. There is a lot of financing provided that it is one of the key incentives from the RF facility for the Repower EU. But we shouldn't be ignoring the baseload power, because that's what gives security and balance in our energy system. Second um, is the new resources we are going to be importing, like energy resources we're importing in the European market. Because now we're moving from pipeline natural gas to LNG, which requires an immediate 
change of the way the whole energy and electricity market in Europe is structured in terms of the indexes we're using for the indices we're using to determine the price of the resource, the price of electricity. You know, there is a lot of development on that, uh, on that matter. It was just communicated by the European Commission last year, oh, sorry, last week in Strasbourg by uh, Ms. von der Leyen, that um, there is a big reform coming up and we're going to start step by step. But the first consideration is to see what are the new energy sources we're going to need on the market. This is more or less on the security um, of supply. Of course, each member state has the right to choose their energy mix. We have to be very clear on that. However, the uh, common European policy we are uh, having in place for that matter is the common purchases of gas for the entire EU. This has been a discussion and debate we've been having at least for two years, even more probably. Uh, but now we've uh, understood that without that, we could not move forward. Uh, so, I mean, it, it guarantees the um, long-term contracts. It guarantees the um, kind of the reliance of the of the contracts we could achieve and of course it guarantees better price because let's be honest until that point each one of the member states was competing to get better price at the global market where you have limited resources this is a recipe for disaster for the whole European Union and yes some countries did manage to negotiate their contract at a better pace better price just because of the bigger quantities they're using However, if we're going to be speaking about stability of the whole EU energy market and about solidarity, we need to work as one union, even at the base of negotiating the prices and the quantities. I will just say a few words when we are talking about the prices for the consumers, because this is crucial. Here, of course, um, we have very short-term crisis measures like the caps, the caps on, of gas on the internal market the caps on the electricity for the consumers and for the industry in each one of the member states. But it is important that this policy has been applied by a few member states at the beginning of this year, including the one I'm representing, Bulgaria, also uh, Portugal and Spain, but they all had to have uh, derogations to get to that. Now this is uh, perceived as a short-term crisis measure in a policy to have a cap. Of course, the question here is, okay, you put a cap, but who is going to compensate for the difference between that cap and uh, the actual price on the market because it cannot be only the government budget. It's not going to sustain, even for a few months. So that's why uh, the controversial topic, controversial I mean like a topic of debate, is the windfall taxes on the um, energy producers, like the extra profits they're generating given the situation now. Yes, it is an um, unpopular measure. It is short term, but we need it if we want to guarantee any stability. We, I'm sure we're going to speak about that a bit more in the future. And the final point I want to make, um, it also has been touched upon, to guarantee the, the security of the supply, to guarantee the stability, to guarantee that we have a base load energy power in Europe, we should not be ignoring the possibility of further exploring the domestic, domestic production in the European continent because that also gives us a bit of a perspective for the independence. And yes, um, there are still resources that could be further exploited. We've heard some examples uh, from Poland uh, already. Uh, but um, if we actually want to meet all the targets for 2030 and for 2050 that they've had presented at the beginning, we have to be pragmatic and realistic and see what we can be working with 
which is uh, a resource presented um, in the European Union. I will stop here because there are too many uh, aspects I've pointed out to, but I'm sure this is giving us a very good base for the further discussions. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Let's go online now to Abarik. Um, so, you know, we've heard so far some of the challenges that we're facing. In your opinion, do you think it's important to maintain the EU's climate goals, even in light of recent developments? And actually, do recent developments strengthen the case for having ambitious climate goals? Thank you, Dave, and thank you, Euractive, for the invitation today. Um, I guess the short and simple answer to your question is yes, and there's plenty of policymakers, industry representatives, NGOs, academics, etc., that have made that point repeatedly since the beginning of the year for obvious reasons, because maintaining our climate goals means rolling out more renewables, strengthening energy transport infrastructure, improving energy efficiency, etc., which you know will help uh, eventually uh, to reduce Europe's dependence on imported fossil fuels and therefore our degree of exposure to the types of external shock that we are living now. I think the real question is, is Europe still on track to reach these goals, starting with the 2030 intermediary targets? And what will it take for Europe to actually get there? That's going to be tough and more homework and scenario planning needs to go into that. I think the fact also that we got caught largely unprepared uh, by this shock, even before uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine started, uh, means that we need to, to probably put more thinking into scenario planning. Um, and yes, I mean, right now on the short term, some countries have had to burn more coal to replace gas in some places and keep the lights on, and that will probably continue throughout winter. Uh, but, you know, I, as laid out by the presenters and uh, before, um, the Commission and Member States are accelerating the pace of the, the energy transition uh, with a bunch of different initiatives. Uh, for instance, the Repower re EU package when it comes to the rollout of more infrastructure and also more recent initiatives aimed at future-proofing the market aspect. Uh, so future-proofing Europe's electricity market and beyond that also gas market. And that will be it for my interest statement. Thank you. Thanks very much. We'll go back into the room now to Irina next. Um, when we're looking at the effects of this energy transition, uh, which is, is going to have a big impact both on businesses and consumers, um, how broad do you think those effects will be on society in general? How much is this energy transition going to change the way we live our lives? Yeah, thank you, Dave, and thank you for having me here, uh, inviting me to join this discussion. Well, uh, to comment on uh, the general societal effects on energy transition, well, of course, I, I would like to start with, like, the European Green Deal is about everything. We all know uh, this, and it's not uh, only about the pure energy transition of the energy sector. It covers... Uh, almost all spheres of our lives and all in all it means a transition, a shift from a linear extractive model based on fossil fuels to a system based on renewables, on innovation, technologies and digitalization. And in this regard, I would like to highlight three key issues that I would think would be some kind of highlights. 
uh, on the impact on the society. First, is that technological change, changes in supply chains, emergence of new supply chains as renewables in ICT, in digital technologies, that will all provide a shift to knowledge society, like not, uh, and that would uh, shift across sectors uh, and uh, would lead to emergence of knowledge and technology hubs. So the current industrial clusters will steadily be replaced by new clusters and new clusters will emerge and maybe also following renewables supply because renewables will be not allocated on the places where the conventional industrial production is based now. Uh, and all these restructuring industries, of course, uh, will lead to transformations in employment and workforce will need to adapt. And here we have various labor policies, labor market responses, how to respond to this. And one highlight is, of course, that mobility will increase. And by this, I mean that uh, there will be increased movement of workforce of people across sectors, jobs, types of employment, and even countries. So this is my first point. A second point is, well, demand side measures are the key. We always hear that uh, demand side response will be crucial in a renewable based system, energy system. And by this, what is crucial is citizens' empowerment and behavioral changes. Even currently in the energy crisis now, in the gas crisis now, what we are discussing, we are discussing gas demand reduction. And one of the key pillars is the reduction by the consumers, by final consumers. And uh, that would be also important to find the right ways to find, to balance energy transition and still to preserve the capacities of citizens, final consumers, to actually drive this change and to invest, for example, I would say, investing in heat pumps, in clean technologies, in solar rooftops, solar panels, and so on. And my last point, of course, we hear it everywhere. We hear it like, for, since um, the European Green Deal was published in December 2019, well, leaving no one behind, <laughs> ensuring the just energy transition. And we just heard the presentation of the report on the transformation of the Polish energy sector. And um, uh, in that regard, well, for Poland, uh, transformation of certain coal regions is a crucial thing and what will happen there and what new innovations can be created on that basis. And in this regard, well, my question would be what sustainable welfare state, sustainable welfare system would look like? And now we're talking about supporting the most vulnerable also during this crisis. And will it be enough? Uh, will the social protection system need to adapt and to adjust to actually structurally addressing all the future transformations that the energy system and the, I would say the entire economy would entail. So, and currently, well, not going into details, of course, there are a lot of discussions among member states, among countries, what actually social protection policies should look like. And that's a big question mark because that's what we will encountered during the energy transition. And to conclude, uh, well, what is actually important is to see the ways, to see the policies, how to couple 
decarbonization with various redistributive policies. So how to couple social protection and the green transition and what actually social protection will look like in a decade and two decades by 2050. I stop here. Great, thanks. Let's go back online now to Pavel to zoom in on Poland again. Um, so Pavel, can you tell us a little bit more about what the Polish energy sector has done in terms of preparing steps to prepare for the EU's energy future? What is, what is next in terms of preparations? I think you are on mute, Pavel. Okay, thank you for question. Uh, at first, I would like uh, add a, a few re reflections because the exceptional situation in energy mar uh, markets caused by uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, requires Europe to revise its uh, energy transition plans. I mean uh, that in short-term perspective, the security of energy system uh, is most important. We need to be better prepared for new challenges uh, while building energy security for the entire EU. Uh, I mean uh, about question uh, as a gas market, gas as a bridging fuel is a, a big question. Uh, as a uh, bridging fuel is a, a big question now. I think that the, the very important is investment in, in uh, hard infrastructure. Uh, for example, in Poland, we prepared, uh, and now I can say that in gas market we have uh, independence from uh, East direction because of uh, Baltic pipe toward Norwegian sources, because of uh, interconnectors with uh, Slovakia and Lithuania, and we have also uh, we can LNG so uh, so it's 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 good way toward reaching independence, which is very important in the short term perspective. Of course, uh, we uh, we need uh, make faster RES development in the uh, most suitable areas and come back to the old-fashioned uh, notion of security of supply. Uh, in many countries, including Poland, emergency measures had to be implemented to ensure security of energy supplies and to tackle energy crisis. The current situation uh, shows that um, there is no turning back from the road uh, toward climate neutrality. However, uh, we cannot forget about the different starting points as uh, Mr. Dombrowski near said, uh, of some member states and uh, uh, differences in how intermediate targets can be achieved. The actions uh, toward climate neutrality in Poland are investments in low carbon and zero emission energy sources, uh, including capital intensive offshore wind farms, Baltic Sea, and nuclear energy. Uh, this process requires the development of transmission and distribution infrastructure together with electricity storage capacities, including energy, that could be easily transformed into electricity. For example, uh, potential energy of water, 
green hydrogen uh, or nuclear energy. Uh, the energy transition uh, requires the implementation of technologies that have not fully reached a commercial status. That is why intensive research and development should be conducted to effectively use them. Uh, the need to use uh, uh, inno uh, innovative uh, but immature technologies is connected to unique challenges which need to be uh, effectively addressed in order to minimize the barriers of uh, entry for those technologies. Uh, and a uh, few words about uh, security in perspective coming winter. Uh, we should remember that in Poland, very uh, important is um, district heating. So uh, high energy prices for final consumer might bring energy poverty to the so far unseen level. Uh, recognizing this uh, as a serious threat, the EU and member states uh, have taken various steps to tackle this issue. In Poland, the government has temporarily cut taxes on fuels and electricity, uh, as well as introduce additional financial support for the most um, sensitive consumers to help them pay their energy bills and provide the maximum price cap for electricity sold to selected groups of final users. Uh, in order to address the high energy prices issue in Poland, uh, the government would freeze energy prices for households in uh, 2023. In this year, uh, at, at this year's level, up to a certain limit of usage, uh, the, the 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 additional uh, additional support uh, is for farmers uh, uh, and small and medium businesses. Poland will also spend 3.5 billion euros between 2022 and 2024 to help energy-intensive com uh, companies cope with uh, surging gas and uh, electricity prices. Uh, I think that uh, social uh, acceptance uh, is a pillar of the just transition, so keeping energy prices at uh, acceptable level must be uh, a priority for accelerating the energy transition while uh, maintaining the energy security. Uh, further, effective transformation of the energy sector requires the use of all available resources to stabilize uh, electricity prices. Economic reason and increasing energy poverty could increase the risk of uh, slowing down the energy transition process or even stop it. Thank you. Thanks very much. So we've had lots of questions come in from you guys here in the room and online. I'm going to go to those in just a second. But first, I did want to ask a question to Tvetelina, um about what we've been talking about in terms of whether we should revise our targets in light of the sharp price increases that Europeans are facing, um, in light of the, the energy poverty that's going to be more and more of, of a concern. Do you think that the EU's 2030 and 2050 climate targets need to be 
revised or revisited in light of the geopolitical situation. In terms of targets, I definitely think we should keep them because they are designed precisely to be acting as a safeguard for situations like that. And like in the medium to long term, they're going to make us more resilient to any supply shocks. Uh, we have to be realistic and pragmatic though in terms of how to achieve those targets as well. So as we've already uh, mentioned a couple of times, like it's a right balance between um, renewables, proper technological development and investing a bit more in that. Base load, here we also have to be very precise in terms of what could be developed as base load. The, the option of nuclear was uh, voiced many times and uh, this has been a very wild discussion, I have to say, the European institutions. However, we, with the decision from July this year, we're giving the green light for nuclear uh, projects to receive more funding from the capital markets, which is uh, one way to guarantee that some of the very uh, low carbon solutions should still be uh, part of the part of the actual mix to be able to achieve those targets. And um, finally, um, this was, I'm not sure if this was very clearly communicated so far. We see that we need to work a bit more on the connectivity uh, within Europe, and I'm speaking about infrastructure, two types. First uh, is if we are going to be changing the reliance on different imports energy materials, like the, there is a lack of connectivity, uh, for instance, for LNG for, at the moment, like terminals, you know, the south of Europe is not connected to the north at this point, especially when we're speaking about um, the, um, the southwest parts of Europe. This is one type of connectivity I'm emphasizing, but the second one is also a proper interconnectivity between, which is going to make um, possible the transformation of energy. Because when we're speaking about renewable sources, sometimes they are seasonally dependent. But here again, we have a very good geographical distribution and very difficult, uh, different um, strengths of specific countries that could be used. So our goal should be to achieve the offshore wind from uh, Denmark to be uh, to be used uh, for some of the Central and Eastern European countries whenever we don't have that. And the other way around, like the solar panel energy should be, uh, should be transferable, uh, sorry, transferable to some of the Nordic parts um, depending on the season. So connectivity in terms of the infrastructure to, uh, to share and move energy resources when it's needed and connectivity in terms of interconnecting our electric grid. We have a question from the audience on that subject of connectivity, which I'll come back to in a moment. Um, but I want to go to Alberic also. In terms of what I was talking about, in terms of energy poverty, the risks of energy poverty, the risks that we're facing for the coming months, um, what do you expect will be the effect on, on households? And similar question, I mean, do, do we need to revisit EU energy policy in light of the, the, the crisis that we're currently experiencing? So the, the, the last part of your question, I, I do think that, you know, we'll need to, to adapt because the, the cards are, have been redealt a little bit. That doesn't mean that we need to be less ambitious, but we need to, to be able to look at the, the, the current crisis, learn from it, 
and uh, and be able to project towards 2030, 2040, and 2050. Um, there's obviously lots of lessons to be learned from the from the current episode, uh, and that can help us build better go, going forward. Um, you know, the, the the energy transition was never going to be easy. Uh, and it was never going to be cheap, right? So in the modeling that uh, we did, for instance, over the past couple of years, we did project, uh, you know, energy prices to to increase uh, on the way to net zero. Now, it was never, you know, we never thought it was going to be as high as now. And now it's not going to, prices are not high because of the transition, but because of another different external shock. But it is some sort of, you know, experiment that we're living, exacerbated scenario, like worst case scenario that we're living in. And uh, I think Irina was making good points about, you know, um, her second last point, the first one on demand response and being able to to manage, to better manage demand, whether we're talking about households or industrial consumers. And this, her last point about um, the future of the of Europe's uh, welfare system. So how do you how do you finance? How do we deal with the economic aspects of the transition? How do we finance it? How do we make sure that consumers are to some extent protected from uh, volatile prices? Uh, that are implied, you know, that by the volatility that is implied by uh, an energy system that's dominated by uh, renewable energy, for instance. And that means that, you know, probably you need to, to do some fine-tuning of the market and also to put in place policies that are going to be able to address a European and national level energy poverty and, um, yeah, and the social aspect of the transition, basically, something that we were not really ready for. You know, we've put together um, an EU fund for this, but, you know, with little resources, and uh, over the very short term, the best measures to address this are probably targeted measures rather than, you know, helicopter me uh, money and blanket measures. National, EU national governments need to develop proper targeted measures to support their most vulnerable uh, groups, uh, most vulnerable citizens. And uh, so these these measures are actually, you know, it's not it's not easy to to put in place, and that's why that's why it's taking a bit of time. But that's what's going to be needed this uh, this winter to really to really support uh, these consumers uh, in light of uh, increased prices. And last point again, and you know, the, the next best thing that can be done is really trying and reduce the gas demand. That's the best lever that you have to deal with high gas prices, reduce demand, and that's the best way to take prices down, and in turn reduce the bill for consumers. Again, that's not easy. Uh, and that means that tough choices have been made by governments this winter when it comes to you know, managing the consumption for both households and industries, but that, that will be needed to get us through winter. Thank you. Great, thanks. So let's go, let's start with questions from the audience now. I'll take the first one from here in the room from Sanjeev Kumar. Um, Irina, I'll put this question to you. Uh, the question is, the only, the only target that counts is 100% renewable or zero carbon heating, cooling, and power before 2050. What Polish or EU policy support does the Polish power sector need to meet the demands of large-scale increases in RES heating, geothermal, ground and air heat pumps, low-medium temperature district heating? Uh, so we know that, uh, particularly with heat pumps, this is going to require a transformation of the electricity grids. Um, from your perspective, what policy support is needed to make sure that the electricity system can handle these new renewable sources? Well, I think I will uh, not uh, like be innovative or groundbreaking to say that, well, uh, the key bottleneck, the key challenge and the key opportunity is electrification. 
storage and flexibility. If we speak about the energy system and electricity system, if we speak about heat pumps, we speak about a substantial, I'm speaking about the hardware system, of course, uh, we're speaking about a substantial increase of electricity and that electricity needs to be low carbon, what meaning uh, renewable electricity, uh, that leads us to the biggest question about how to obtain renewables, and that is also addressed in the Repower EU, permitting is the bottleneck, is the elephant in the room. So. Answering your question, first, of course, we need a lot of renewable electricity and we need to deliver it. And if you go uh, and uh, check any uh, reports on, for example, offshore wind, and uh, today we discussed a bit offshore wind and Poland is planning to have a significant uptake, but if we go to, say, like permits, regulatory frameworks are the, are the key issues for solar, for onshore wind, for offshore wind. Uh, the second one is, of course, storage and storage of electricity is a big unknown. We have a various technological vectors. They are all, well, they are still to be proof, future proof and scalable commercially available. So storage is uh, the key issue for 100% renewable electricity system. And uh, uh, the last one is the flexibility of the system. The last point, uh, Italina already mentioned that, well, we need base load, but we need also to cover the, like, the top, the peak demand. And that's a big question because so far, of course, we had natural gas, coal, to some extent to balance the system and what the system will look like in a decade, uh, in two decades. So my answer would be this. Yeah, go ahead. May I just jump in, because Irina was actually quite explicit in, uh, in touching upon all the important points. I'll just add one, one more spin when we're speaking about specific regulations, and this, uh, also was mentioned, energy efficiency. Except of storage and saving energy efficiency and how we're going to achieve that is also key. Because currently in the Parliament we're working on the energy efficiency directive for buildings buildings being one of the biggest consumers of energy in Europe, like about 40%. Uh, so once we manage to achieve in the next, hopefully, 10 years, once we manage to achieve and uh, have all those deep renovations which would make our building stock more energy efficient, this would also have an impact on the question you've posed in terms of like, we're going to be consuming less energy in certain aspects so we can divert that energy for, for instance, the electric charging stations for vehicles. So it's not necessary correct to be assuming that, yes, the grid would have to be renovated and improved, but it's not necessarily true to be thinking that we're just going to be adding and adding piles of um, electricity increased capacity on the grid because we're also working on reducing the consumption in some other specific areas. So be a question about reallocating exactly. that electricity exactly. rather than I adding to it. It was posed and it was part of the question would need to be revised yeah, because it's sure. not going to sustain, but keep in mind that there is a lot being done in energy efficiency. So if we are like reducing the energy consumptions of building, yes, we're going to need more electricity to charge our vehicles, which is uh, also the goal for the next 10 years. But uh, the balance in terms of the more or less the total output we're going to need might stay more or less in line with what we have currently. 
Well, Pavel, in Poland, you'll be responsible for, for delivering this. What kind of policy support do you need um, to be able to integrate these new types of renewable heating? Could you, could you repeat, sorry, could you repeat? Types of policy support do you need to help integrate these new sources of renewable heating? Uh, yeah, uh, we have here we uh, say that it's no alternative for coal uh, um, uh, in district, uh, only one alternative for coal in district heating uh, system is gas. So, uh, so uh, maybe in the future it will be uh, green hydrogen. Uh, therefore, we 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 need we need gas uh, supplies for different uh, direction in in in, uh, in district heating systems. Um, now we uh, invest in our energy companies like PGE, Tauron, Enea, and Energa, uh, Energa in big photovoltaic programs uh, and and onshore installations. But the biggest investment uh, in Poland now uh, is uh, uh, offshore wind farms in Baltic Sea. Uh, the potential of Baltic Sea is huge. So I think that uh, offshore wind farms uh, together with uh, nuclear plants will be in the future stabilize our energy uh, system in Poland. As you know, our energy mix um, from historical and economical reasons uh, is still based on uh, traditional fossil fuels, I mean hard-fired coal and, and lignite, uh, but due to, 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 to investments, uh, billions of euros in, in RES, uh, we, uh, we change this energy mix all the, uh, all the time. Uh, the, 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 the crucial is also a distribution system, uh, because uh, uh, because it's 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 a base for for development of uh, RES uh, RES in Poland. Thank you. Thanks. So I'd like to go to Alberic for the next question from the audience. It comes from Evan Bernardi, uh, who's a master student at KU Leuven. Uh, question is, Poland and Norway recently inaugurated a pipeline connecting both countries. How can this new pipeline help Poland transition toward a net zero emissions economy? Um, does this new pipeline, obviously it's very, being very much focused on for energy security uh, issues, but can it also help in decarbonization? Alberic, if you can hear me, you are on mute. Hi, sorry about that. Didn't notice. Yes, yeah, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I was saying yeah, it all depends on, you know, whether this pipeline can later be repurposed to carry, you know, green hydrogen or other types of renewable gases, I suppose, when you talk about uh, the role that uh, this pipeline will have to play in the transition. And that, uh, to be honest, I don't know about. I haven't checked the details. Can this pipeline be repurposed? I would assume so. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not, not personally sure. Uh, what is for sure is, that, as you said, that it will play an important role uh, in, the next, uh, in the next couple of decades, at least, in, uh, you know, bringing extra 
uh, additional security of supply to Poland, uh, but not only. Uh, and I think you know it's quite important to see these kind of developments to make sure that uh, we can get natural gas uh, to to Central and Eastern Europe from you know from countries that are not not Russia. So that's that's a kind of the the developments that you have to welcome. Uh, you know. And the same as, you know, for instance, the pipeline, the, the, the green hydrogen pipeline that, uh, that France and Spain now plan, uh, plan on building in the, in the Mediterranean. So that's, that's the kind of developments that has to be encouraged to, to guarantee Europe's energy security of the, the short to medium term. Well, Irina, there was a related question also from the audience, so I'll put both of these to you. Uh, the related question is from Gabrielle Bench. What is Poland's policy on hydrogen? When will a wind and hydrogen policy be developed to actually decarbonize heating and industry? So A, do you see that pipeline's potential to bring hydrogen to Poland? And B, where does hydrogen fit into the energy future in Poland? Yeah, so thank you. And maybe to comment on Baltic pipe that was just commissioned like this month. Well, I well, I am totally agree like with uh, previous comments. And maybe a small comment is like well. How would it contribute to decarbonization? Of course, well, it will transport natural gas, uh, which is uh, not decarbonized one. But, uh, well, the, if you look at the map and if you look at the entire gas system, the Baltic pipe is crucial in actually redirecting the floors because when uh, the firm goal is to phase out Russian imports, su supplies of natural gas imports as soon as possible, it implies that the supply floors will need to be redirected partially from east uh, to west, and they should be redirected from west to east. Uh, and uh, the Baltic pipe is uh, a crucial interconnector in this regard. And then if we go a bit down for like Poland-Slovakia interconnector, which was also completed, was commissioned just, uh, well, uh, days, weeks ago, that means that uh, this pipeline will provide uh, savings in additional in infrastructure, immediate needs for security of supply these days, these years, upcoming like winters. Uh, so to invest in natural gas, and that means also limited investments that need to be done in gas infrastructure, as the repower you plan, for example, stipulates like around 10 billion uh, euros around. Uh, so uh, for me, that's also a kind of a contribution to the decarbonization path to avoid stranded assets and to complete also only the natural gas infrastructure that is essential and needed for the current needs and for the current geopolitical situation. Commenting on hydrogen and wind, how they can fit into the equation, well, I would say that, well, hydrogen is a usual suspect when it comes to hard to abate sectors, to industry, and uh, that's what I think, well, that's the most uh, feasible as, like, there are many views, but maybe that's the most feasible way how hydrogen can be applied. And wind and hydrogen, of course, they can be coupled quite well. And uh, like in previously, like in the previous discussion, uh, of course, offshore wind has high capacity factors, and capacity factors are quite close to the natural gas ones. That meaning that offshore wind, at certain conditions, under certain conditions, can be used as a base load power, of course, with some limitations, but still 
it's quite close. And then we can have all various like, ideas, technological solutions, how to couple offshore wind with renewable hydrogen production. And that's quite like quite a distant future. It's not an immediate solution. It's not the solution for like next five years maybe. But this is something that I like to repeat. We need to think, not only to think, but to act now. If we would like to have some projects, some even demonstration units by 2030, we need to start now. Uh, so I have, we have two questions for Pavel. Uh, so, Pavel, the first question is from Joanna Filsowska from the Reform Institute. What would be an ambitious renewables target for 2030 of installed capacity in Poland? Uh, and related question from Natalie H. Uh, are you in favor of increasing the EU's renewable target to 45% by 2030? Um, of course, uh all, uh, all Polish uh, energy groups uh, are have in our strategies reaching uh, reaching uh, neutrality in 2050 uh, and 65 uh, percent um, in, in in 2030. Therefore, we have huge investments uh, in uh, in uh, areas. Of course. Uh, we should re remember about our energy mix, what is strictly connected with historical and economical uh, reason, as I uh, earlier said. So uh, our path to, to, to reaching those goals uh, should be uh, different than, for example, uh, West, uh, European, West European countries. Um, I think uh, uh, to... Um, to better understand the Polish circumstances uh, and learn more about uh, our idea for uh, successful uh, transformation, uh, I recommend you to read the newest report, Polish Energy Transition Path, prepared by the uh, by the Polish uh, Polish Electricity Association in uh, in cooperation with the uh, global company uh, Ensent Young. In that document, we present previous uh, achievements, the scale of challenges and plans for future in, in the context of energy transition. But I would uh, like to reflect that in short-term perspective, the most important is security and uh, energy independence. And in medium and uh, long-term perspective, of course, uh, we full uh, agree uh, uh, green transition, we want to uh, reach all goals uh, according to European, uh, European plans. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, that's about all the time we have for today's discussion. Uh, some great questions in the, coming from the audience. I'm sorry I wasn't able to get to all of them, but there's certainly a lot to discuss with this topic, for sure. I want to thank our panelists, both here in the room and also online, for some really interesting uh, contributions. And I think, in particular, what we've coalesced around is there's lots of different possibilities and there's different kind of short-term focus versus the long-term focus. But I think the area of agreement is certainly that uh, the, the climate ambitions for the EU should be maintained in the big picture, even if they are kind of revisited about the specifics. But of course, that's an ongoing uh, discussion 
here in Brussels. Uh, so thank you so much at home for spending your time with us and thank you here in the room. For those of you here in the room, I invite you to the uh, reception outside, the networking event. And for those of you watching at home, I wish you an excellent rest of your afternoon. Take care.